Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So I am very lucky in the sense that I get to see the inside of a lot of people's lives and I get to know in intimate detail what people from all walks of life are going through and how they feel about their lives. And I think that this is one of the unique and interesting things about being a psychologist is you really get to see the truth behind how people feel about what's going on in their lives. So today I wanted to talk about the concept of living versus existing. The idea that a lot of people go through their lives just sort of getting by, and a lot of people go through their lives in a very passionate and connected way. And many of us go through stages in life or parts of our lives where we're very connected and we're, we're really doing what we want to be doing and we're really feeling passionate. And then other parts of our life, not so much. So it's this idea that there may be times where we are going through the motions or dialing it in or even to take it a step further, times where we're asleep at the wheel. And so I've been fortunate in my life in that I have had many times where I was just sort of existing or going through the motions or just surviving, for example, being in graduate school, just trying to get through. And I've been fortunate in that I've been able to come out the other side and find something I really wanted to do and feel passionate about and have a connection with the work that I do now. But I feel like a lot of people aren't so fortunate that they have been sort of going through the motions, just sort of existing in some area or many areas of their lives. And I see, you know, I'll see people come in because they have some relationship issue and they'll be coming to therapy so that they can deal with their relationship issue. And then it turns out "Mm, maybe also their job kind of sucks and they just hadn't dealt with that one yet. But for the most part, they have been just sort of going through the motions in their life in many aspects and are just trying to find some kind of way back to passion and connection and excitement. So we can all sort of relate to meeting somebody and feeling like you're very excited and infatuated with a new romantic interest that The person you've met just seems really great. You have excitement whenever the phone rings or you get a text. And you get excited about the person that you're dating. And then a bunch of time goes by. And you come to a place where you've been in the relationship for a while. And you realize that 
you have kind of run out of things to say to one another. You go on a date, but you don't really know what to say anymore, and it starts becoming awkward, and whatever interesting quirks that they once had or any interesting hobbies that they once seemed to have no longer really interest you and kind of annoy you, but you keep holding on to the relationship because you remember what it was like in the beginning, and you miss the person that they were in the beginning, and you miss the connection that you had in the beginning, and it's never going to happen again. And sometimes people hold on because they want that person back, the person they got in the first couple of dates. They don't want this person who's here now, but they're waiting for that old person to come back, and they never come back, and so people end up going through the motions in relationships. And this can go on for a very long time where you're just hoping you get a glimpse of that person you first met. And that never happens. And so that's a way of existing in a romantic relationship without really living and feeling connected. Now there are three movies that are fantastic that are made by Richard Linklater, who is really good at following characters over real time. He made the movie about a boy, and he made these movies called Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Now, these movies that he makes are in real time, and he follows characters for years. So the actual actors get older. And with Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, he has these two characters, Jesse and Celine, and they meet on a train, and they decide to spend the evening in Vienna talking to one another. And what happens is that nine years later, Richard Linklater made another movie where the characters meet up again after nine years. And then the third movie is, again, nine years later. And so what's interesting about these movies is that the characters actually do age in real time and are dealing with whatever developmental stage they are in at the time. Now, what's interesting about these movies is that it's not a lot of action either. It's really about the two characters sort of connecting with one another and talking about meaning in life and love and whatever else. And it's mainly just dialogues. And there's something very interesting that the character Celine says during the second movie. She says, I guess when you're young, you believe that you will meet many people with whom you'll connect with, but later in life, you realize it only happens a few times. And this is so true. The concept of two people really connecting. In my practice, I feel like I get one of two people. There are the people who absolutely believe in destiny and soulmates and that perfect person, the one out there for you. And then there are other people who just think relationships kind of happen 
and you find somebody who you get along well enough and it runs its course as long as it needs to run its course. And maybe that's forever and maybe it's not. And so I definitely feel like people believe one way or the other. Now, if you were to ask Celine or Jesse or even Richard Linklater for that matter, I would guess that all of them would say they believe in connection, they believe in that perfect person, they believe in soulmates, because that's essentially what these movies are about, about two people who are really connected over time and in this really special, cerebral, and passionate way. And it's very interesting to see how their relationship with one another changes over time. Now, if you are a person who believes in the concept of the one, that perfect soulmate, then I think it's a lot easier in the dating world because if you believe in the one, it will be pretty easy to figure out when you have not met the one and it will be easier to sort of say goodbye and move on from the wrong relationships a lot more quickly. Now, if you're more cynical and you just sort of believe that you meet people who fit in your life at the right time and the relationship is just supposed to run its course, however it's supposed to run its course, then I think dating is a lot harder because basically anybody is a potential mate for going the distance in that sense. And figuring out who's who in that bunch is going to be a lot harder because you're not waiting for that perfect person or that person that you really connect with. And so in that sense, it's just kind of existing in the romantic world. Now, this concept of just sort of existing versus living, it reminds me of the big box stores where you go into a warehouse and you're looking for something that you need. And for some reason, you need this thing in bulk. And let's just say, for example, shaving razors. Now, you go into one of these big box stores and you find that they have, you know, 25 razors for five bucks or whatever the deal is. And so you feel like, wow, that's a great deal. Except for the razor that you actually want is not there. It's the one that's sort of like the one that you want that's available for the cheap price. And so instead of getting the razor that has all the blades you want in it, you get something from the same brand that has less blades and is less effective, essentially, and it isn't really what you want. But hey, it's a great deal. And I feel like the big box stores are set up this way, where it's kind of what you want, but it's never really exactly what you want. You're always kind of getting a lesser version of things. It's not the excitement of actually getting what you want. It's more like getting the deal of something that you'll accept. And I feel like that is a great metaphor for a lot of things in life. 
kind of reminds me of like when you're young and you're first becoming a professional. And I forgot about this, although I've been through it myself. But when I was teaching graduate school some years back, what was happening is I was having students coming into class after they'd been at their internship during the day. And it was always so interesting to me because I had, before the internship started, seen the same people in their comfortable clothes and just sort of wearing their student relaxed clothing to class, whatever a student would wear to class. And they obviously had a style and and what made them feel comfortable, and it felt like it went along with their personalities. Now, when the students started their internship, they had to dress professionally. And, And these are people who are you know, just starting off, just learning how to be therapists. And so they have to wear the professional attire of someone who is conducting therapy. And I would see the same people start their internships and show up in class in their professional clothing. And it was always such odd, basic stuff, you know, black slacks a white button-down shirt, whatever it was, it never felt like them. It always felt like they were throwing on somebody else's uniform in order to appear professional. And I think that it does take a while when you've been a student for many years to figure out what your professional style is. And It took me a long time to figure that out too, but I had sort of forgotten about it until I was teaching again because I would see people who just looked so uncomfortable in their professional attire and it never quite matched their personality or what I would expect their professional persona to be. It always was a little bit off and it takes a while before you figure out what your professional style is and how that matches your personality. Now, there are some people who will go on to become professionals and they won't change anything. They will still wear whatever the prescribed professional clothing is and not have any style. They will continue to wear the black slacks, the white button-down shirt, because it passes as professional, and they'll do that forever. In fact, I actually had a colleague who wore the same outfit every day and had five shirts that were the same and five pairs of slacks that were the same and called it his uniform and literally wore the same outfit every day that he was working. And it was just easier for him. He didn't have to think about it, right? And that is, to me, just going through the emotions, just existing, not really being in touch or connected with who you are and what your style is. Now, I remember the first time that I started private practice, I basically threw together whatever existing furniture that I happened to own that 
wasn't being used and put it in an office and had the walls painted accordingly. And it was quite frankly, God awful. And it's what I could afford at the time, but there came some point in my time working in private practice where I literally woke up one day and went, I hate this. This is not me at all. I have to start all over again. And I literally sold the furniture out the back door, moved to a different office and bought all new furniture and created a completely different color scheme. And it was basically because I had just been sort of existing in private practice and I was ready to live. And to be honest, when we're talking about this profession, the profession of psychology, your surroundings really do need to reflect who you are because you have to be, you are the tool. Your personality is the tool that helps people get better. And when your surroundings or your clothing or any of that stuff doesn't look like you and it feels off, people will notice. And maybe they don't consciously notice, but they do have a sense of something being off. And I had a friend once tell me that she tried seeing a therapist who had like doilies everywhere in her office and she just couldn't stand it anymore and couldn't go back because it was just so god-awful and made her feel so uncomfortable. And so these things are real, that when you're just sort of existing or throwing things together, people notice. I recently had the pleasure of going to a service that was an interfaith service, meaning that a group of religious leaders came together and talked about the meaning of life and where you should be headed in life and that kind of thing. And it was a group of people. There were there was a rabbi and a couple of priests and ministers, just people from different faiths talking about what it is to live and move forward and grow and all of these things. And there was one person who was there to represent Buddhism. And it was somewhat disturbing to me because instead of a Buddhist monk being present, it was a person who clearly was a middle-aged woman trying to find herself and was probably new-ish to the religion. And she came in and told a story that was really kind of superficial, wasn't very uplifting, and just kind of seemed like a faker to me. And um, I think it kind of cheapened the importance of what everybody else was doing, that somebody who later in life figured out that they needed more shows up at this religion that they weren't raised on and decides that she's going to adopt it and represent the religion to a group of people who are looking for life inspiration. And it just felt like she was not on the same 
playing field as the people who had dedicated their lives to being people of faith. Many of them talked about their calling and how they got there, and she did not speak at all about how she got there. And it just, it felt so cheap, and it felt like she was existing and getting by, whereas the other religious leaders were really living it, were really walking the walk and talking the talk. They were living in their spirituality. This, by the way, is a a lot of times um, Christian people will go to therapy in hopes of finding a Christian therapist. And I've heard this a number of times before. And what will happen is they'll ask the potential therapist if that person is religious at all. And there's sort of this therapist stock answer that everybody says, which is, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And to a person who is looking for someone coming from the same place, that is absolutely meaningless. That is existing and not really living. Now, I have not seen the TV show. I understand there is a TV show, but I have read the book, and that is Marie Kondo's Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And basically, it's just a book about how to organize all different areas of your life, you know, papers, clothing, whatever is cluttering up your home. Um, She has an answer for where all this stuff goes. Now, She's sort of famous for this idea of going through your closet and taking out every piece and figuring out if it sparks joy within you. And I think that that concept, although I've already talked about clothing, the concept of feeling joy in your life, in whatever area we are talking about, is so incredibly important in order to live rather than just exist. That getting up in the morning and going to a job which you dread or you're just sort of surviving until the weekend is not living, that's existing. Or being in a marriage in which the other person doesn't excite you or just sort of irritates you or you're just sort of putting up with is not living, that's existing. Even going to a church or a synagogue or a temple or some place of worship and just sort of going through the motions and the traditions and the rituals and having no actual spiritual connection to it is also existing but not living. And so I would challenge you to look at all of the different areas of your life and see where you have passion and you feel connection and where you don't. Now, there may be something you can do about it, Maybe you have a chance to turn things around, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're stuck in the middle of graduate school, or maybe you're financially stuck in a job or stuck in a relationship. 
But I would challenge you to take a look at what areas of your life you do have that passion and connection to where you do feel like you're really living and the areas in your life in which you feel you're merely existing. And I hope you have the opportunity to turn it around. And of course, as always, I would say, if you need help to sort this out and figure out how you can get passion and feel like you're living in some area of your life, therapy is always the way to go to figuring that up. Good luck on your journey. Be well, and thank you for listening.